Hi everyone, today I'm joined by Christine Tao, who is the co-founder and CEO at Sounding Board, a Silicon Valley startup redefining how organizations develop their leaders. Her extraordinarily rapid career growth to executive management in the media, mobile, and tech sectors of Silicon Valley became her inspiration for founding Sounding Board. As she began to manage larger teams and became responsible for revenue growth, it became clear that she needed a sounding board to coach her on the development of her leadership skills. That's where Christine met her future sounding board co-founder, Lori Mazan. A seasoned executive coach focused on leadership development, Lori coached Christine on real-world leadership skills that had a direct impact on business outcomes. Based on her positive and impactful experience with leadership development, Christine was driven to make leadership development coaching accessible to people at all levels of the organization. So, Christine, thank you for that and and welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Paris. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Can you start by telling us how your personal experience led you to the idea for founding Sounding Board? Yeah. Well, you know, I am based in Silicon Valley and work in tech. So my background has been working at places like Google and YouTube. Um, But I also worked at a few different venture backed startups. And it was that experience you just described in the intro that really led me to start Sounding Board. And it was a personal one that, you know, when I was at that company, We, I started when it was only 30 employees, but in less than three years, we ended up building a really big business. You know, we scaled the revenues to over a hundred million dollars. We more than 10 X our employee base. And then I personally went from being a individual salesperson to running our entire global sales team as part of our executive management. And I just never done that job before. So if you can imagine these really big leaps in terms of leadership, scope, responsibility, often navigating jobs I had never done before. And so I was really lucky. Our our board and our CEO at the time were pretty forward thinking. They had had the CEO work with an executive coach, seen how impactful that could be. And the CEO told and decided that, you know, myself and another executive who were new to the executive team should also work with the coach. Um, and, you know, for me, I had been at Google and just like you and, you know, you get access to best in class training, but because I wasn't a director, I hadn't been at that level where you get a personalized resource like a coach. And so it was a new experience for me, which I found hugely impactful. And um, I ended up bringing coaching in for my entire team. I saw that it had a profound impact on their ability to Um, sort of up-level themselves, as well as run better run teams. And that really cemented my belief that if you invest in your team and your talent early, that really not only pays backs and spades for their development, but actually has real business impact. You know, my team ended up driving the majority of the revenues for the company, um, but we were able to do that with a team that I mostly promoted from within. So, you know, that's the um, story for the inspiration behind Sounding Board. And then, you know, my co-founder, like you'd said, is actually my coach from that last company. And, um, you know, our mission really was, well, let's not wait until people are at the executive level to get them a coach. Let's do it, you know, when they become a manager for the first time. Um, And so that really was the mission behind Sounding Board. 
That's great. So you're trying to bring coaching a little bit, maybe down the org chart. Is that is that a yeah, fair way we, to say? Yeah, we often say like we feel like we want to be democratizing access to coaching, right? Our mm. our vision is, hey, we think everybody could use a coach, especially across so many career transitions that you are navigating. And so um, for us, it's really you know if we could get to the point where everybody could get access to a coach in their professional lives, you know that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Now I'm curious on your opinion as to I sometimes think of the role of a of a coach or a sounding board to be filled by a, a HR BP and HR business partner, for example. And I, when I was at Google, we had those people who, in a way, acted as coaches and mentors, even though they didn't necessarily have the subject matter expertise. Do you see the the type of coach the, the type of coaching services that you're trying to provide as similar to that or different in any way? Uh, there's some similarities and then there's some differences. Um, certainly, I think HRBPs are, um, they often have coaching as one of the things that they do as part of their role and scope. Um, and I'd say what's similar is that we focus on leadership skills and development. So it's not about, you know, I've done sales before and I'm telling you how to do sales or I was a former marketer and I'm telling you how to do marketing. That's more like mentorship, you know, advice based on my past experience. A coach really is more for us focused on those soft skills and leadership skills around your job. So it can cross any function, sort of any level, any industry, because it's a very specific focus on a specific set of skills. Mm-hmm. Then I, what I would say is different is that, um, you know, we we aren't in the same organization. So we are external to the company and the coaches themselves are not um, part of the organization. And the benefit of that is that you really get this agnostic, external third party perspective that I think mm-hmm. employees really appreciate because it's a channel where they can be very open about the challenges that they're facing and then that person really has no other agenda except for your best interests and to help you be successful in your job. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question, which is the importance of that person being independent and, and objective. But I totally see that. Um, and are you able to, for your clients and for your customers, are you able to quantify in any way or draw a direct line from uh, an investment in coaching and their their output or the productivity that results from that, from, from better leadership, better management skills, better soft skills? Yeah, and we do that in a couple of ways. So one, we have a capabilities framework that underpins the platform. So, you know, a set of skills that the coach is working with that coachee to develop. It might be communication, strategic thinking, you know, um, time management, delegation, what you would consider broadly, I'd say, leadership and management skills. So there we have that as part of the platform. And we also have ways that we measure that on an ongoing basis so that we can actually see quantifiable sort of improvement on those specific capabilities you're developing. Um, A core part of Sounding Board's platform actually is we focus on leadership coaching for business impact. And part of how we think about business impact is starts with the goals that you were trying to accomplish with the support of your coach. And with those goals, we set very clear um, uh, sort of 
tags as well as ways that we capture, if you accomplish this goal, what's the business impact of that going to be, um, not just to the organization, but also to you personally. So we have an ability to capture organizational impact as well as personal impact for achieving that goal. Um, and, and I think the last thing is that, you know, oftentimes with initiatives like this, the anecdotal feedback is almost just as important as the quantifiable feedback. And we have um, pulse surveys and ways that we continuously sort of collect feedback around the coaching as it progresses to understand, like, you know, how is your thinking being shifted? What new behaviors are you taking on because of coaching? And then what impact is that having? Mm-hmm. Great. So, for example, could a business impact be, hey, once I, once I improve my, my management skills and my leadership abilities, I actually, I actually built capacity to manage a larger team, and that, and that actually helped the company grow faster. Would that be an example? That's right. Okay. Yeah, and then maybe you know because of that, um, you are able to add folks to your team. Now, let's say you're in a revenue driving team that could directly relate to being able to drive more revenue for the team. Mm-hmm. We actually also look at organizational metrics. So three things that every company often thinks about when they think about investing in professional development is employee engagement. They want to drive higher engagement of their existing employees. Second is, you know, um, retention, right? So being able to ensure that you're retaining your um, top performers. And then the third really also is a promotion rate. You know, if you can actually promote people from within versus having to hire or risk somebody leaving the organization, there's a real dollar and ROI to that because um, now you're able to promote and develop from within. So we also look at those sort of higher level organizational metrics and how the coaching impacts those. Gotcha. I think there are a lot of clear benefits to promoting from within and building career paths for people. I, I'm sure you've dealt with this and discussed this a whole lot. One thing that I face and probably a lot of other leaders face is that oftentimes people are hired into companies, especially at more junior levels or entry levels, based on um, a harder set of skills. They're, they're really good at doing something. They're not, they're not natural leaders yet. They might be very, very good at, let's say, Google Ads optimization in my case, <laughs> something like this, or SEO. They're, they're technicians or they're analysts and they progress through the organization and suddenly there's a second person on the team that reports to them and a third person. And before you know it, there's an inflection point where you think, well, this is the natural manager, but they're not yet comfortable managing people. They still want to be a subject matter expert. At what point in that person's career path do you either say, you, we're not going to force you into managerial role, but we'll give you the choice. How do you determine if somebody if somebody actually has that potential if they've started as an as a subject matter expert? How do you identify potential to be a very successful leader versus to to say we're not going to force you and pigeonhole you there? We'll let you continue to be a, um, I guess in, in Google they were called fellows. Uh, yeah. They were just distinguished, just distinguished right. uh, for their skills. How do you think about that? And I think a lot of a lot of leaders do struggle with this with their teams. Well, I think there's two ways you have to look at that. Um, One is at an organizational level. And then the second is that specific individual. So at an organizational level, it's more structural, right? Do you even have job roles, job functions, and career paths that allow people to be able to continue to 
up level and to develop their careers that are outside of only forcing them into management as a career progression path. I think certain functions are good at this. You know, engineering is a really typical one. Now it's pretty standard to have an engineering path where if someone says, I don't want to manage and run a team, they can get to what you said, right? I'm a um, distinguished engineer or you're a fellow. And so there's still a progression for them outside of management. I don't think that's as um, clear cut in every other function, probably the only other function where that's more understood is sales, right? You have folks that just remain an individual sales rep because they like that selling motion. Everywhere else, Mm -hmm. it's a structure in the organization that, you know, if you are in marketing, you have to eventually start to manage a team in order to get up to say like a Mm -hmm. CMO level. So I think one is the organization and we have to start talking about like, what are those paths to career progression outside of having Mm -hmm. to just run and manage a team? So it's more structural. For the individual, mm-hmm. um, you know, we coach on leadership skills. And I think one of the things that we have a framework that we think about, which is, you know, leading yourself, leading a team, leading a function, and then leading an organization. And there are certain skill sets that are associated with, you know, how to be successful at leading yourself, how to lead a team, and so on and so forth. And oftentimes, I think that the folks that are starting to um, sort of demonstrate a, some ability to sort of cross over into that next bucket are often the ones that are showing the most potential that beyond just say leading yourself, maybe you're starting to show some behavior that you can help support or develop other people on the team, maybe even if you are just the lead, right? And being able to help mentor or um, develop other folks that are new to the team. So oftentimes I'd say we have that framework, you know, leading yourself, your team, your function in the company. And if you can start to see folks um, exemplifying some of those things, those are certainly great, you know, signs of potential for leadership and management. Mm-hmm. I see. I think in, in marketing, which is my industry, it's particularly difficult because you have some people that are just very, very good at what they do and they just want they want to keep doing it and they want to keep being challenged. That's and right. They, they don't envision themselves managing a team because that will actually take them away from the work they love. And I, I've seen examples of people who have had that mindset, but who have later proved to be excellent managers. And, and we, couldn't, we couldn't really predict it at the time. And others who are just simply saying, no, please don't, you know, don't offer me that as my only, as my only <laughs> career path because I really love what I'm doing. Just give me more just give me better projects and, and more interesting stuff and more challenges, which is its own, yeah, its own hard, uh, hard challenge yeah. to do. Well, well, one thought just about your prior point is you're right. Um, beyond, you know, someone already starting to demonstrate those behaviors. The other thing that we often encourage companies to think about is just because somebody is doing their job well doesn't necessarily mean that they should be moved into a management role. So one has to start with their own interest and desire to do so. But then second is really that the company and the organization has to understand that it's a different set of skills. You know, if I can, you know, if I'm a creative director and I'm amazing at designing, you know, producing content that's a very different skill set than managing an entire team to do that at scale, right? And so 
Um, what we are really trying to do is help companies understand it's a different skill set, but it can be learned. And it's important that the company and organization invest in helping those employees develop those mm-hmm. skill sets if they want them right. to be successful in those roles. That's a very key point, Christine, is that it can be learned. And a lot of leaders of companies don't often believe that it can be learned and coached and trained, but rather they just look for that innate natural ability. And, and if it's not there, they just think, well, that this person doesn't naturally have it. I'm going to look for someone else. But just like, I guess, with sports and athletics, um, there are some people who are naturally gifted athletically, That's right. but you That's could right. always train and get more out of those people. And in some cases, you can train someone who might even be average or above average to be pretty great if, if they have real drive and a desire to do it. And I think the same is true with, um, with leadership. Um, I think there's another there's another dimension to this that I've noticed here, which is that certain people have a mindset of, um, let's say you have a very skilled person. Some some people think I'm an asset to this organization because of because my skill set is irreplaceable. If they lose me, you know they're they're in trouble. I, I can do something that no one else can do, and in a way they hoard they hoard that knowledge. Um, to, that's typically not a that's not a good thing for us. <laughs> the other side is they have those skills and they have the awareness of their skills and they actually enjoy transferring those skills to others. It's not necessarily just pure leadership, but it makes the company more scalable because it, it makes the transferability of skills. It builds a culture of transferring skills to others and helping lift other people up. And I've had, I've had both. I've had extremely talented people that just would refuse to train or coach or work with others because they really were um, quite insecure, I guess, mm-hmm. that if I, if I really transfer my skills, then maybe I'm not as valuable. I'm not, I'm, not so, I'm not as indispensable as I am today. But in fact, the opposite is true. And that's what I came to learn, is that people who are more willing to transfer their expertise and their skills are way more valuable to the organization because they empower that organization to scale. Um, do you, how do you think about that? I'm just, just curious. I mean, I think one, it's a great point. And I think one of the things that, you know, folks that are leading teams successfully understand is that you can actually accomplish more. You can go farther, you can go faster if you have a team around you that's empowered and enabled to be able to do that. I think more and more so people are feeling that um, today, given just the pace of work and how quickly things move, you know, we're in Silicon Valley and Mm -hmm. when you're driving through hyper growth, um, it gets, you very quickly get to a point when you're doing a function that you realize, my God, you know, I don't think I I have any more hours to give, right? And so the only way then to be able to achieve the very aggressive goals in front of you is you need more people around you to be able to drive towards those goals. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, but I think the point is really important, which is one of the things we, we talk a lot about, not only with the um, coaches that we coach, but even just internally at sounding board is the importance of scale and that we as an organization value that um, value folks that can help us scale and to do it in ways that are scalable, not just putting more hours in the day or doing the work yourself. And mm-hmm. so I also think there is a 
responsibility on the organization to help leaders understand that and then to reward them for that, right? That that it's not about you get rewarded for being able to empower a team to be able to grow versus just doing the work yourself. Mm-hmm. I remember, um, I, I guess back in your YouTube days, did, did you work closely with uh, Susan Wojcicki? I didn't. She was probably, you know, she's a little higher up in the organization than yeah. I was at the time, to be honest. I, I mean, I just remembered that um, at one of the, the TGIFs and she spoke at one of the TGIFs and at that time she was pregnant with her fifth, uh, what was going to be her fifth child. And she, she said very proudly, I'm, um, she was very proud of her work-life balance. She said, I'm, I'm wrapping things up at 5 p.m. latest every day. And what I've come to learn is that at the stage that I'm at, it's not necessarily about grinding it out with more hours. So scale is not just by putting your foot on the gas and putting in more time or moving faster. She said it's actually about the ability to prioritize and, and, the, and the realization that certain, certain decisions you have to get right and other decisions you should just push down to, you should delegate. But they're only, at her level, I suppose, they're only really a handful of decisions that are really big decisions. And she needs to understand what those decisions are, prioritize them. And it doesn't take, you know, it doesn't take 12 hours a day. It just takes the realization of these are my priorities. And if I make these decisions correct, you know, I'm going to empower the whole organization. And then these other 80% of decisions that seem to be bubbling up to me, I'm just, no, I'm just going to push them right back down. And that really stuck with me. Yeah, no. And I I think that uh, if you think about that type of work, uh, it's actually heavier, you know, strategic thinking, prioritization, and then clear communication of those priorities. That's work that actually is, I would argue, is a higher mental load. And you Mm -hmm. need to be able to have some space from the day-to-day work in order to have that understanding deeply, right? If you're just mired in all of the day-to-day work and the details, it's hard to come up to a level to really be able to think more long-term because you're so immersed in short-term and near-term work. So one of the biggest things that we work with a lot of leaders to help them understand is that being busy is not the same as being effective and also maybe detrimental Mm -hmm. to what you really should be focusing on for your level and the expectations for, you know, a a higher level leader. Um, And I think that Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the things that is really hard for first time managers to let go because, you know, being busy, being really good at their work, you know, executing well, um, is probably what got them to the point that they were considered to be elevated. So there's Mm -hmm. this mindset shift that has to happen that, okay, now my success is going to be measured on something different than what Mm -hmm. had gotten me here, right? And that actually is one of the biggest challenges for new managers, letting go of doing the work themselves, delegating that, letting go of the how, right? So get clear about what outcomes you want, but be okay if somebody does something different than the way you would have done it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then being clear about which ones that have to be a certain way and which ones it's okay if it's not, you know, done exactly the way that you would have done it. Mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos has a great, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've probably read the memo. He talks about type one and type two decisions, right? The ones that you, you have to, it's okay and you can walk them back. 
And then the ones that, you know, you really actually need to slow down and think about because the impact of having to walk those back is much, much greater. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, I saw an interview, a snippet of an interview with, with Jeff Bezos recently where they asked him something about, well, how many hours of sleep do you get? It must be almost none. And he said, no, eight hours every night because I need to be, I need to wake up feeling really well rested and I need to be mentally sharp to make, to make the right decisions that I need to make. There are only a handful of them. That's right. But if, if, if I make those decisions having not slept enough and, and uh, or being cranky or I, I'm, I'm, make, I'm, I'm putting the business at a lot of risk because these are major decisions. And I thought that was also really, really interesting. And I guess it's not only at that level, but you can apply that down several levels down the, down the structure when you think about every person has a level of decisions where they need to know these are the decisions that I need to make and these are the decisions that I shouldn't be making and that I should delegate down, down to my team. And therefore, my priority should be one, two, and three. <clears throat> and then just understanding that really the, the decisions that I make is, is my, my greatest value now. It's not necessarily just the work that I put in. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, yeah, the, it's great, uh, it's great to, to hear from, from these people at, at those levels and, uh, and just imagine you know, what, what a typical day might be like for them. Well, Christine, um, I'd like to now just steer a little bit more towards marketing. And sure. I want to understand this market. I think, I think this is a nascent market of coaching. My, my general sense is that over the last few years, there's been an explosion in the coaching industry. I've seen it across um, leadership coaching. I had an agency coach myself and in, uh, not only executive coaching, but in all sorts of all walks of life. Is that true? Is that happening? Do you have any statistics about the size and growth of the industry? Absolutely. I don't have the stats right offhand, but um, certainly, you know, I think COVID also has been an accelerate, accelerant on that in the last mm -hmm. year, um, given the sort of higher level conversation around mental health, um, you know, wellness. And the thing with coaching is you're right. There is a huge spectrum of coaching. Coaching is not a regulated industry like therapy. So you've everything from, you know, career coaches, transition coaches, life coaches, business coaches, what we do at Sounding Board, which is leadership coaching in a corporate context. Um, but there's lots of different um, sort of purposes and applications of coaching. I think part of the reason for this explosion around coaching, you know, that we're starting to see is that what we see is that, you know, there's more and more uncertainty in the world. You know, the pace of business is moving faster than ever. And so what's happened is that like sort of the average shelf life of skills or functional skills is getting shorter and shorter. And so it's raising the sort of importance around developing more adaptable skills, being more agile, agile right? Being able to respond and um, lead through change and uncertainty. So the focus is less on developing specific skills, but almost developing capabilities within people to help them quickly adapt and learn new skills. Almost this idea of, you know, being able to coach somebody to be able to learn. Um, and I think coaching is really unique in um, driving that because coaching itself is innately 
about helping people reach a level of awareness and understanding about themselves, about their goals, about what they want to achieve, and then giving them the tools and the toolkit to be able to achieve those goals on their own. And so that skill in itself is almost like the skill of being able to adapt and learn. And I think that the premium and the value on that has just increased because of the environment and the times that we're in. Mm-hmm. I'd like to I'd like to touch on that a little bit too, because this last year or so with, with the pandemic and most people being at home, a lot of teams have been physically separated, and a lot of managers no longer have physical uh, proximity to those teams. And and I imagine that that tons of them have had to make some real adjustments to that. Now, how do you manage a team when? You maybe you're used to maybe just walking around and checking in on them and having these more random conversations. Say, hey, what are you working on? How, how's it going? Can I help? Well, you can't really do that um, when everybody's working from home. I remember one of the first reactions I had with my leadership team is to tell them, okay, guys, we're all at home now. We're going to have a 30-minute stand-up every morning at 9 o'clock. And it turned out that everybody got really sick of that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was overkill. But I just thought, oh, shit, um, now I'm not going to see them as much anymore. So I need to really co- overcompensate. But we're going to have a, a stand-up every morning now with them. And we're going to talk about what are you doing today? What's on your calendar? And it was a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction where I, for a brief period of time, I, uh, I really micromanaged. I overmanaged um, just because I had a little bit of a, a fear about not seeing them. How are some of the, the managers that you're working with and, and sounding board how are they dealing with a manager's adapt adapting to the, the new realities of remote work? Well, one of the things I think that is really critical, and we've seen a lot of companies also start to highlight as important, is actually just the importance of connection. Because like you said, you no longer have those water cooler moments or just physical proximity as a, um, as a proxy, I guess for connection, Mm -hmm. right? Oftentimes, maybe you didn't talk to your team, but you were all sitting in one room. And so it felt like you sort of understood what was happening just by being physically near them, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that um, what we're seeing, especially now, remote work, you know, also record levels of burnout and stress, increased, you know, demands in terms of childcare for working parents. You know, there are so many things going on that, more is not necessarily more. So um, one of the things that we've seen a lot of companies focus on, um, ourselves included, is actually just creating intentional moments for connection, where it's actually less about, you know, what are you working on? What are your to-dos? But really, let's be intentional about just finding time to connect as people and connect as humans. And then from there, Mm -hmm. that allows you to continue to develop that relationship and communication that allows you to then be able to lead successfully when you are talking about the business and the work. So I think that's one. The second is kind of back to what we talked about before, which is people have less time, they're more stressed. And so being clear about priorities and prioritization, clear communication is even more important than ever before. So, and you have to be very intentional about that. So um, a lot of the skills that we're working on with leaders is 
you know, how do you prioritize? How do you delegate? How do you be clear about what are the important outcomes that you need to drive towards? And then a um, effort to try and shed, you know, unnecessary or um, tasks that are not necessarily um, the highest value add. Um, It still actually comes back to the same set of leadership and management skills, I think that you always needed. It's just with the lens of how do you then sort of deliver against that in a remote or virtual environment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think it's we're, we're, a lot of us are still uh, struggling to adapt and find the right solution for that. But I didn't like your point about being a little bit more intentional and sometimes more direct about what you expect. This is our goal. This is my intended outcome, because maybe if I'm not just sitting across a table from someone and then they can read my facial expressions in more detail. They can see my body language a little bit better. Um, I I might pound my fist on the table to make a point, but (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, Whereas it doesn't come across the same way, maybe with just, uh, you know, looking into a screen. Um, But yeah, these are very, very interesting points. So if we come back to the the market of coaching, I think it seems to be really hot and and I think it's going to continue. Um, and, and, I, and I see that you all a couple of months ago had a, quite a big financing raise with a Series A. And, and, and so clearly um, investors are looking at this in the same way that they're investing in the growth of this industry. From a marketing standpoint, um, just let's start with big picture here. Um, how do you position yourself and, and what is your overall marketing strategy for the company? So Sounding Board is a B2B enterprise-focused business. So our primary customer segment that we are serving are large companies that are investing heavily in talent development. So think um, Intel, you know, um, Bloomberg, um, Kraft Heinz. So that's one set, large public enterprises. The other is really companies that, you know, look like a lot of the companies we see in the Valley. Um, hyper growth, you know, late stage tech companies. So companies like Chime or Plaid, where there may be pre or just post IPO, they're growing very quickly. Um, and because of that, it's become even more critical for them to up level their leaders immediately in their seats. Um, and coaching is a great way to do that. Um, but I think in terms of um, sort of the market and the market opportunity, if you were talking about that, like this is really a market that is industry agnostic. Um, it's something where every company is now thinking about talent development and leadership development at scale. Um, so we really focus on corporate leadership development at scale. So it's a B2B model and it's mm-hmm. with the specific application of helping companies develop their talent and to develop their bench of leaders at every level in the organization. Gotcha. And I'm curious to know here, um, I'm on your website right now, and, and I see that there's a the primary call to action is to request a demo. I also imagine you've got um, a pretty uh, sizable sales team that's maybe doing some outbound and some account-based marketing. Um, how does that balance? I mean, how many, how many leads and new customers are you onboarding through the web experience, which goes through a, a sales demo booking on the website versus more of the high touch uh, sales outreach approach? 
Yeah, and that's evolved over time. So, um, so my background is in sales. Um, when we were still in a seed stage, you know, as the founder and CEO, um, my co-founder and I sort of divided duties. She's the coaching expert. She's been a coach for over 25 years. So she was really focused on our coaching product and delivery. And then I was focused on sort of sales and marketing. We didn't invest a lot in marketing to start. Well, one, we didn't have the money because we were, you know, an early stage startup. Um, and so a lot of our early stage marketing motions was really what I would call a sort of sales driven motion. So, you know, outbound LinkedIn was an incredible tool. Um, HR as an industry and HR buyers generally are very relationship driven. So we also see that, you know, activating referrals um, and being able to penetrate quickly like a community of HR leaders if your product works and is delivering what you say you will, that sort of word of mouth um, becomes really critical um, for early stage growth. Mm -hmm. So we really activated that. It was very highly targeted. And my background is in sales and marketing. And so I had a network that I could tap into to seed our initial customer base. Over time, we've now invested more heavily in marketing. So I'd say we are set up pretty similarly to a typical enterprise SaaS company you know, we have SDRs, we have our reps who are out in the field, um, and then we have a marketing uh, function, which is primarily now focused on content as um, sort of our top of funnel, you know, awareness play, and then a strong focus on sales enablement through the funnel. Mm -hmm. And do you all work off of uh, some sort of a, a content editorial calendar, or uh, what, what is your overall approach to content strategy? Yeah, so the... Um, our head of marketing is actually only, I'd say, five weeks in the seat. <laughs> and so right. um, he's incredible. Yeah, so he's new to the team. But um, what was important for us is and what we learned over time is that, um, you know, our buyer and sort of the community of buyers is actually pretty small. They all are pretty well connected to each other. And they're sort of standard, I like call it watering holes that, you know, where they spend their time to learn about trends that are happening in the industry. Um, and then our head of marketing, Kip, mm -hmm. you know, he came from this industry. So he had a good understanding of which channels were effective in reaching like the CLO, the chief learning officer or the head of learning. Um, and so one, we look at like, let's make sure that we're going to the places where these um, buyers are typically looking for content, looking for information. And then second, let's make sure that we are talking about the topics that are most urgent to them. So a lot of things that inform our content strategy, we do have a calendar, is looking at, you know, high level market research reports, Gartner, you know, HR, what are the most pressing challenges or priorities for our buyer? And then how do we insert ourselves into those conversations so that they start to understand and associate, you know, hey, if I'm worried about X, Y, and Z, you know, sounding board starts to show up as like thought leadership or is providing content around that. And then we build a bridge over to how coaching can help solve that problem for them. Okay. So the chief learning officer is a key persona then in the organization. Is that, that's one of your primary buyers? Yeah. And the so mission we, of that person... We, Oh, sorry. Yeah, mm -hmm. go ahead. No, so I, I um, I'm not that familiar with that type of a role, but just the the a CLO role would 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 imply it's a pretty big organization if there is a chief learning officer there, and and I suppose um, 
I mean, it's it's the development, it's the holistic development. It's it's not just about upskilling and and sending sending them to conferences and things, or um, online courses, but rather like really holistic development, uh, identifying the future leaders of the organization, and then developing them. Um, I'm just curious now as to what what typically would trigger someone to really seek out your solution. Is it reacting to a failure, or is it trying to be more proactive? Um, is it after something else they tried didn't work? Or, I mean, how, how is it that you can sense when is the right time to, to sell? What are those triggers within the CLO role? Yeah, so um, one, there's sort of macro triggers. One is just that ed tech, sort of corporate learning. Um, and then, of course, online and digital learning has really exploded. And COVID has certainly accelerated that. Um, so one learning and development just as a critical business priority within organizations has escalated and risen much higher than it had in the past. Where before, if people, you know, if the business thought of learning as maybe a nice to have, now it's increasingly becoming critical to, hey, you know, upskilling and making sure we're closing these skill gaps in our labor force is now a CEO level priority. So one, it's kind of macro that, you know, just Overall, learning and development is now a much higher priority for every business. Um, I think second to that then is then how do we help our buyer understand, you know, why now and urgency around a decision point? We definitely have identified triggers um, in HR. And if you think about the people function, there's very typical employee life cycles. And then even within a year, there are activities that very... um, uh, often lead to a better understanding of their talent and their employee base and where there is a need for development. So think about, you know, you run an employee engagement survey. Oftentimes those are triggers and signals for telling you what your employee base is asking for in terms of development or career opportunities. Those are triggers for us. You know, now companies are moving more mm-hmm. and more into feedback and review cycles that are always on. What do you do after you get the feedback that, you know, you have X, Y, and Z skills that you need to work on in order to get promoted? So companies now are thinking, well, it's developmental. Mm -hmm. If I've identified what you need to work on, how do I actually invest in initiatives like coaching that can help you get there? So this kind of cycle of, you Mm -hmm. know, feedback and reviews often is another one. Um, And then the third is just promotion cycles. Mm -hmm. You know, as people are getting promoted, it's very easy to understand, you know, if you have a a whole cohort of managers that are moving up through the organization, you need to start at those points to invest in helping them develop the new skills they need for their job. So promotion cycles mm-hmm. and just the natural career progression in companies is often another entry point for us, you know, times of transition. Mm-hmm. How long, typically how long do the coaching engagements last? They're usually a year. A year long? Mm-hmm. One on one for for a year, and and yes. they how frequently usually how frequently do they meet? So our we have an annual coach model one. where you are typically meeting with your coach about every two weeks or twice a month. We found that that cadence okay. is ideal because it gives you time. You know, in coaching we say the work happens between your sessions. So it gives you time in between your sessions to actually yeah. put what it is that you're working on into practice. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. 
Well, it, it seems like this, um, and ba back to the marketing side, um, it seems like it's it's fairly high touch. I mean, there's probably a lot of account-based marketing to, to penetrate companies. And I do imagine that if you can even sell for a couple of, I don't know, trial engagements and those go well, that it can quickly spread inside of an organization because then um, you get, let's say then you go you get into the sales team and then you might get to the marketing team and the engineering team. But if it works with one team, I, likely that in a company, you your uh, your services can spread like wildfire, I imagine. That's right. That's right. So yeah. we very much have a land and expand model. We also mm -hmm. do go top down just because oftentimes, you know, the learning function might control or manage broader cross-functional initiatives around development. But mm -hmm. certainly um, that's kind of the beauty of the model is that we can flexibly land in the organization in different ways and then grow from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is great. Well, Christine, um, I don't, I don't think it's that fruitful to try to dive deeper into the marketing <laughs> weeds here with you. But I, I'm fascinated by what you've, what you've done so far, and um, I, I imagine a really bright future ahead. Uh, I think I've had a, a great personal experience with coaching, and and I believe that uh, even my own leadership team here uh, really, really deserves that. So, uh, what so far have I? What have I not asked you that, that you'd like to share with our audience? No, I think, I mean, I love that you yourself have experienced it and have seen the impact that it can have. You know, that's why I started the company because I experienced coaching and saw how much it was able to help me really be successful in my job. Um, and so really, I think it's just helping. I would encourage folks to understand, think about coaching as a model to bring into their organizations. It's one of the few models around learning where, yes, you have to spend time and commitment to do so. But it's one of those things where we see that employees are clamoring for it. You know, they want this development because they see that it not only can help them professionally, but there is a personal development that is also beneficial to them, even beyond their time at that company or that organization. So, um, you know, I think for companies that might be thinking about different forms of development, you know, just encourage them to think about that, you know, a model that's personalized, it's continuous, it's on demand is something that I think, especially in times like now, um, is much more valuable and also just really attractive to um, employees as a form of development. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, I think we can wrap up now, Christine. That was really fascinating conversation. Thank you very much for spending the time with me and, and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. And thanks so much for having me.